Well, if you want to sing out, sing out. And if you want to be free, be free. Cause there's a million things to be. You know that there are. And if you want to live high, live high. And if you want to live low, live low. Cause there's a million Welcome to another edition of Legends of Film. I'm William Chamberlain. Today we have an interview with film writer Danny Perry. Among the books Danny Perry has written, cult movies, the classics, the sleepers, the weird, and the wonderful, cult movies two, cult movies three, guide for the film fanatic, cult movie stars, and alternate Oscars. Mr. Perry has written about Night of the Demon. We are going to show Night of the Demon on Saturday, October 22nd, 2016 at 2 p.m. at the Downtown Public Library on 615 Church Street. More later, on to the interview. You've written cult movies, one, two, and three. For those not in the know, could you define what a cult movie is? Yeah, I go back, when you ask that question, I go back, uh, back to the 1980s because when I did media for all these, the first question, what is a cult movie? And what I try to do in my book, which is part of my enjoyment of doing these books, was redefine what cult movies were. Because all, when I, as a youngster, I, I, for people who don't know, I was born in 1949, so I saw, started seeing movies in the 1950s when I was a really little kid. So, And then in the 1960s, I was already completely inundated, knew everything about movies and seen everything. But we were always told cult movies were movies that that very few people had seen, these obscure films that people saw in the, the basements of, of science buildings that, that just somebody happened to have a projector and came across this, this obscure movie. But I was looking around, and, you know, it's, uh, in the 80s is when there was all these midnight movies coming out, all the Rocky Horror Picture Show and Eraserhead and El Topo and The Harder They Come. And, and uh, I'm thinking there's a lot of people seeing these movies and they're being called cult movies. And because the, the, the passion, the fiery passion that all these moviegoers had for these individual movies and uh and then i you know just started paying attention and thinking you know humphrey bogart uh, they would show re revivals of him in boston at the brattle theater and and uh you know humphrey bogart was you know a very very popular actor really well known but there was this for a few of his movies you know the maltese falcons and casablanca there were audiences were treating them differently they were seeing these movies repeatedly over and over again and they were they were actually talking back to the screen and saying all the words so I'm thinking these are also cult movies and films like All About Eve which was a you know a, a really really popular uh, Oscar winning movie people were also saying dialogue to that and seeing those films over and over again so I came upon the idea of you know, just redefining and even going back to the silent era with Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, where I realized it played in France for like seven years in a row at one theater and got a repeat audience over and over again. So in the 80s, one of my, maybe my only contribution was redefining this as all films 
whether they were popular or not, that after their initial release, they, the, the audience continued to see these films over and over again. And not only that, but they would champion the films and they would talk about them to other people and spread the word. And that has always been part of what cult movies are. There still are those obscure films. I'm not ruling them out, and I write about a lot of them. And I, uh, I'm proud to say that a lot of people discovered movies because of my books. They say, I never heard of that film, like Deep End. What is that film? I'm going to go, I'm going to track it down and see it. And and that's what happened. Uh, so I think I redefined it. It's just, I just say any, any film long after its release, uh, that it's that people will not let it die and they'll keep seeing it over and over again and they'll tell other people about it because the great thing about all kinds of cult movies and all kinds of movies is when discovering a great film that you really connect to. And with cult movies more than anything, any other kind of films, the audience members who love these films really connect. And I, I always say... One of the things that distinguishes cult movies is, from all other movies is you can write about them in terms of their fans. Okay, and could you uh, discuss the origin behind the cult movie books? I, I was an outsider. I didn't write for any magazine. I didn't write for any newspaper. I actually wrote for a college magazine. I came from the University of Wisconsin, and they had an unbelievable group of film people there. When a lot of people went on made movies, uh, wrote about movies, very esteemed uh, people. And it was called the Madison Mafia. There were there were about thirty people who were still involved with movies in, in, in some way. And I was part of it, but they had a, um, a magazine there, a free magazine, and the authors didn't get we we who wrote for it didn't get paid or anything. And there was a uh, a Velvet Light Trap uh, was the name of the magazine, and we who wrote for it, as I said, we we continued writing as as we went ahead. And one of the things about me, uh, which I guess distinguished me from the other people, is I liked lowbrow movies, middlebrow movies, and highbrow movies. I was the person who would see Citizen Kane, you know, 50 times, but I'd also see uh, Them, one of my favorite horror, uh, science fiction horror films from the 1950s. I, I would see uh, Abbott and Costello. That was what I wrote about for Velvet Light Trap. I was an Abbott and Costello fan. So I had the advantage of having seen all kinds of movies. Uh, so the, and my my goal is always to encourage people to see movies, and have people who were interested in you know Magnificent Ambersons, Orson Welles movies, uh, Jean Renoir movies, but also get them to uh, to see these B movies from the 1940s, the Detours and the, the Out of the Pasts, and just get. Uh, bring them all together, uh, and I wrote in a way that was just, I think, welcoming to, to people and never writing for other to, to other critics, as a lot of critics do, but writing to the people who were out there who were real movie fans such as myself, so there was a, that kind of connection. So I, the oddball, the odd origin Partly for these cult movies, as you know, I, as I said, I, I I wanted to create a new genre, 
where I could bring together all kinds of films, you know, The Citizen Kane and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Night of the Living Dead all in one volume. And that's where I, I think I created a genre, cult movies. And from that point on, people were talking about cult movies in, in, a, in a different way. And uh, uh, I actually... You know, one of the reasons I wrote, came up with the idea is as I was getting older in the 1980s, I didn't really want to go out at midnight to see movies, except this would get me to go to them. And when I signed the book contract, that's when I went out and saw Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's when I saw Eraserhead and El Topo and all all the other midnight movies. So it was actually... I was I was inspired and got a new enthusiasm when I when I created this genre, this cult movie genre. In your forward to cult movies, you wrote almost every science fiction film has a minor cult, and I this is you writing. I have painstakingly kept the number of such films in check. And why did you include Night of the Demon in cult movies too? Why did it make the cut? Well, Night of the Night of the Demon is 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 a film that even among uh, horror movie fans and science fiction fans wasn't really that well known. Uh, it, and the people who you know, it, it, the name of it is Night of the Demon, but in the in the United States it played as Curse of the Demon, and it came out in the 1950s. And if people know about the 1950s, there were a lot of great science fiction movies made, but the people who went to see him were kids. Everything was was geared for kids and horror and science fiction. No, nobody really took them took them seriously. Uh, we discovered them, and being a kid myself, the, you know the, that there were the invasion of the body snatchers and and as I mentioned, them and the day, uh, day the Earth stood still. There were there were a lot of great movies that that the adults were, were ignoring, and we were we were discovering them. Curse of the Demon was one of film that. Hardly anybody knew about. They would say, "Curse of the Demon." Who wants to see that? Night of the Demon is the other, the, the British title, and that's the title that the screenwriter Charles Bennett wanted. And before Columbia Studios changed it, this this was it's kind of it's almost an orphan movie. Horror movie fans have over the years, I think, partly with my encouragement, Martin Scorsese is also a big fan of this producer in the 1940s named Val Luton, who uh, made about seven or eight classic horror films in the 1940s for RKO. He was a, uh, Val Luton is a very erudite a Russian immigrant, very well read and whatever, but he was told you have to make horror movies. And what he did is he made great horror movies. The director of his first three movies, which were you know, uh, Cat People and I Walk with a Zombie and The Leopard Man, three terrific and very compelling films. They have all become classic films, and I, you know, I loved them as a kid. And uh, in fact, you asked me before, one of the origins of cult, uh, my cult movie books is when I wrote my proposal, the chapter I wrote about was I Walk with a Zombie, which I had written an essay in graduate school at USC, cinema school and uh on why i walk with a zombie and i just rewrote it for for my proposal this is how influential it was for me anyway jacques turner 
would go on after the horror series and direct a, 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 a like one of the major classic film noir films out of the past with Robert Mitchum and Jane Greer. But then he, you know, this great horror film director, didn't really make any horror films until Night of the Demon. And a lot of what Night of the Demon, you know, I always tell it, hey, you, you've ignored Curse of the Demon, Night of the Demon, but don't you love these other films that he made in the past? And they say, oh, that's the same guy. And that's part of what I try to push. A lot of the Night of the Demon, Curse of the Demon is is a discovery. People don't really know it exists, and, and partly it was because it was distributed, as many cult films are, or many low-budget cult films are, very poorly, and very few people saw it when it really originally came out, and uh, it just got forgotten. I'm not saying I'm the one who rediscovered it, but I, I really wanted to spread the word about this film. That's part of a lot of these films that I didn't, in, in my three cult movie books, which are, which are 200 films altogether, I don't like all of them, but I, I recognize the cult and I try to explain why it's popular with the fans who like it. Night of the Demons is one of the ones that people, I get a lot of mail saying thank you for writing about this film. I'd never heard about it. And it's, you know, it's it's not the perfect film, but it's really good and has a lot of interesting elements to it. Uh, do you recall the first time you saw Night of the Demon? I probably saw it as a, as a kid in the, in, I, I probably saw it, um, uh, well, I don't recall, but I probably saw it because I've always had a memory of it. I think I saw it when it came out. So I was like eight years old, and any time a horror film came out, I would definitely go see it. It's it's people today. There's just so you know. There's just horror films flood the market, and they go. On. They're also the uh, direct to cable vision. They're just a cape to cable. So there's just so many horror films that came out. There weren't that many in the in the 1950s. More science fiction. So horror film would really really get me but i you know i've seen night of the demon uh, many 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 times and then i became friends with the uh one of the great screenwriters of all time charles bennett who wrote the original and then was he he, he actually likes the he he's passed away now he actually liked night of the demon less than i did <laughs> i i, I he didn't like the change of the title, The Curse of the Demon. He didn't like the rewrite that he, the guy, um, that uh, Hallie Chester, who who bought the rights, uh, did. And he didn't like the showing of the monster. Val Luton's films with Jacques Turner, it was, they were known for, for keeping things in the dark, not showing scary things, you know, and so viewers say, did that happen? Or was there a monster there? Was there a, did, the, did Simone Simone really turn into a, a cat woman and cat people? Or are we just imagining that? Because we just saw shadows on the wall. We never really see the transformation. And uh, the studio imposed this this monster, this giant monster in Charles Bennett, hated it and uh it was studio imposed and it's always written about as being terrible and i love that monster <laughs> except for except for a couple of cheesy shots uh, i think it's like one of the great monsters of all times so i liked it better than than charles did charles bennett but uh 
you know, as I said, I think I saw it when it came out, 1957, and I know I saw it as many times over and over again. It has one of my favorite actresses in it, Peggy Cummins, who was the star of Gun Crazy in 1949, uh, Joseph K. Lewis, or Q. Lewis, and um, this is her second best film. And Dana Andrews from the great film noir film, Laura, and this is the kid's he was sort of fading out, and I think he was having uh, drinking problems, and uh, and so this is he's all of a sudden reduced to making a low-budget horror movie in the nineteen, you know, late nineteen fifties, and it just turned. It, luckily for him, it turned out to be a terrific film. In your essay on Night of the Demon, you compare it to early Alfred Hitchcock films in which Charles Bennett wrote. And was there ever, since you knew Mr. Bennett, was there ever a discussion of Bennett's work on the work of Alfred Hitchcock? Oh, yeah. We talked to, you know, he, you know Charles lived in Beverly Hills, and I live in New York, so I would see him, you know, periodically when I would go out to California in a little bungalow. He kept all his his writing so it was actually very exciting so he would show me scripts and you know with all the writings on the on the edge and whatever he he liked to he, you know i'm actually surprised when they both migrated to uh united states that they didn't work together more because you know he 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 wrote 39 steps and and uh, the man in, the original man who knew too much and uh, young and innocent those are, these are great movies and they did foreign correspondent together in uh, in the United States the Joel McRae which was a great movie and they they never really worked together again and I I I don't really remember him telling me anything specific about it because I think they remained friends they worked very closely together when when they would do their movies together. The, the scripts, they, they, the, the scripts. If you look at them closely and watch the movies, they all have common elements to them. Usually on a train, but there's always a a hero who's kind of a stuffy hero who, who all of a sudden is in an exciting story. That's that's you know which continued to be a Hitchcock theme all in the 1950s. You know. Uh, you know, with the, uh, the the later man who knew too much, and even Rear Window, and North by Northwest is the, the real key. The guy who all of a sudden, you know, he's in this incredible adventure out of nowhere because he's thought to be somebody else. So there there were these common elements, which are not only in the Hitchcock films, but also Night of the Demon. It's it's a, it's they're very it's similar. Hitchcock could have actually directed Night of the Demon, I think, without without much question, because they're very similar themes. There's a there's a loony mother character, which was always uh, found in uh, Hitchcock movies. There was a stuffy guy, as I said, who bonds with a female. In this case, the niece, played by Peggy Cummings, the niece of a, a deceased debunker of this guy, this villain who uh, practices witchcraft. The the villain himself, who has the loony mother, who's actually a nice character, is very Hitchcockian. Hitchcock always had villains who were very egotistical, but very smart and diabolical. This guy, who's played by Niall McGuinness, could have played any of the villains, the Nazi villains and Torius or whatever. He's just 
he's just like a great, great guy. So people looking for, you know, listing all the great villains in movie history, you're not going to look normally to Night of the Demon, but there's one of the great villains ever. And it's very typical of Charles Bennett, and he would fit right in with uh, Alfred Hitchcock. In your book, Cult Movie Stars, uh, you dedicate the book to young women who do John Wayne impersonations. Could you explain? <laughs> no, I it's it's uh, my sense of humor. Part of part of the uh, appeal, I think, of my books is I, uh, unlike some critics, I I keep a sense of humor. You know, and, and reflecting on it. I was thinking actually about John Wayne yesterday, and I was thinking how he is somebody from our, my era, who's still remembered, or still people, you know, if you ask a young man or a young woman, do you know who John Wayne is, they'll say yes. You know, if you ask, do you know who Frederick March is, they'll say no. You know, Charles Boyer, no. Uh, but John Wayne sticks with them. And they, actually, you know, now that I think about it, the reason probably is young women traditionally do not gravitate toward westerns. I myself loved westerns, and when we're you know, on college campuses, I say most other than Clint Eastwood movies, very very few westerns are ever shown. You know, since I've written these books, uh, it will show uh, on on college campuses. They tend to show new movies mostly and, and action adventure but every once in a while there'll be a Clint Eastwood festival on campus or, or uh, at some repertory theater if there still are repertory theater and they show John Wayne and what I was noticing is that more and more women were becoming John Wayne fans and western fans and I like that trend I thought I thought that was really uh, a good sign. Uh, even you know, some you know, Lee Brackett wrote some uh, El Dorado, you know, with uh, uh, Rio Bravo. So you had um, women writing uh, scripts that John Wayne was in. One of my really close friends was a female who's no longer alive, but her favorite film was The Searchers which we saw many times together, and she saw many, many times. So that's the great John Ford, John Wayne movies from the 1950s, which was lost for a few years. But I'd seen it as a kid many, many times, so I was <clears throat> always spreading the word. you got to see this movie, and it wasn't available. Finally, it became available, and it was shown. I mentioned I was at the University of Wisconsin with a lot of films, and they showed the searchers, and a lot of women went and uh, love that movie. I guess when I wrote that is I made a connection when young women like John Wayne and can even impersonate John Wayne. That's a good sign. And because I always, you know, I always wanted to bring people from all sides. I wasn't thinking gender before, but it's great if I could get people, get women to like Westerns. You know, and uh, get uh, men to like uh, weepy soap operas like uh, Now Voyager with Betty Davis, that kind of thing. So that's probably what I was thinking of three decades ago, <laughs> yeah, I guess. But but I, I do, as I said, I, I loved when you know, say, I'm going to go see a Western on campus. Do you want to come? And you ask a female, and they say yes. That And I remember... 
a lot of it had to, there were John Wayne movies, and I remember that either John Wayne movies directed by John Ford or or by Howard Hawks. I remember that distinctly. So that's probably where where, where that the origin of that phrase. But that is a good dedication. I'm very proud of that. Now, thank you for reminding me. Could you tell me about the Pinocchio Film Society? Well, I mentioned the the person who liked the Searchers. That was. Karen Kay, her name was. She was a screenwriter and a teacher. She wrote the film Call Me and wrote for a lot of television things. And in my senior year, actually summer year uh, at the University of Wisconsin, she and I created the Pinocchio Film Society. And we showed a combination of popular films and art films, beginning with Breathless. It was my one venture into uh, having my own Film Society. That was, as I said, my senior year. I've been part of other people's film societies and whatever. But, you know, it's it's nice. We only did it one summer and people still remember it. And, uh, a fun a fun mix. In fact, I, I remember I mentioned Breathless. I also showed stuff like uh, Children of the Damned and Village of the Damned. And it was very indicative of, um, I think we had a Boonwell movie, uh, very indicative of my tastes, were, which were very, very broad. I look back very nostalgically on that, and I also look back at it, I have nightmares because it was the first time I tried to show films using two projectors, and when the first projector broke, everybody rebelled, and you had to keep them all quiet. I had to, after the first, after Breathless, I had to hire a projectionist, so I remember that well, but University of Wisconsin in late 1960s and early 70s was like an unbelievable place for people discovering movies. And at the time, all the great filmmakers, uh, John Ford's and the Howard Hawks and Akira Kurosawa and and, uh, and Tony Oni and, and Louis Benwell, they're all alive and they're all still making movies. And Orson Welles was even making movies. And it was an incredible period and just very, very exciting, and I'm glad that I had that film society because, as I said, I always, my goal, which is why my readers always treated me so friendly, was always just to encourage people to see movies. I never told people, I hate this movie, do not see it, do not do not make the effort. I always say, I don't like it, go see it. While we're on this topic, in an interview I read with Roger Ebert, he stated it's ironic that the growth of film academic study has also accompanied by the death of film-loving or film-going on campuses. He went on to say that a college student would go to college to see cult movies or classic movies. Um, Now students would rather rent the latest blockbuster than rather look for something interesting. Do you agree, and what's your opinion? Well, of course, he said that a while ago, um, and um, the, uh, the the growth of the video store was like, I guess, I don't know if that was a death to film societies on campus, like the one, like the Pinocchio Film Society, because I mean, I'm sure there's still some, but it became a lot easier when everybody in the 1980s started buying VCRs. It, it was like unbelievable that you could go to a store go up to the counter with a VHS film, go home and see a film that you had actually seen two weeks ago in a theater. There's, there, there, there's, there are guys um, 
there are people are making movies. Uh, I, I got interviewed for a movie about the the death of the video store, but and I would talk about how there was something guilty about it. It was like you were stealing movies that you know that were in theaters, and a lot of people made discoveries, and a lot of people. My books were always on counters at video stores, which was great. So people would use my books and, and Guide for the Film Fanatic, particularly, which I wrote about uh, 1,600 movies and little entries, and they use them as checklists. In fact, Guide for the Film Fanatic has a long, long checklist of movies, and, and they use all my books, and they would go to the stores and see movies that are in my in my books as part of the discovery. But for the most part, people were seeing movies they had already seen about a month ago. They couldn't believe they were seeing the same movies and uh, and, and also movies they missed uh, when they played played first run. So I think that there was a movie craze because of video stores. I appreciated that. It gave people a lot more access to films. I was getting, when I wrote the, uh, the three cult movie books in the 80s. You get a lot of letters from people who were in small towns and they never had access to any of these films. They did the local TV shows and you know, didn't show uh, Night of the Demon. All of a sudden, all these films were available and you could go, go see them. Curse of the Demon is on, you know, on, on uh, we did, there were VHS Curse of the Demon uh, before the DVDs which also changed everything. People had a lot of access. I, I really hated the death of the, the video store. I thought that was great because people could actually see movies. I, I I hated the it killed off repertory theaters. I think that was just that was the worst result because people didn't have to go to go out to see old movies anymore. If they wanted to see an old movie, they could you know go home and even you know make some popcorn and watch watch the movies. So I was sad about that, but a couple movies changed. Uh, you know, when when Roger wrote, uh, you know, gave that kind of quote that you know talk about the you know the death of cult movies. At the time he said that, and the time I wrote the books, filmmakers didn't really want to be. They didn't really want to have a cult movie, make a movie, say it's a cult movie. That's that's not making any money, and that's not expanding their fame any. Nowadays, as the time passed, and Roger got to see part of this, a lot, a big part of it is you know the growth of the film festivals and all, all the uh, young filmmakers going on different campuses, as, as colleges all over had filmmaking programs. So there's everybody in the world is making independent movies, and they're all trying to get into festivals. The big thing with cult movies is word of mouth, and every single young person who sends a film to a festival would die to be a called a cult movie, which means people are talking about their movie. So everything has changed in in that way. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it's but that's the big difference now and when I wrote these books, when nobody wanted the designation of just being a cult movie that wasn't good enough nowadays yes a cult movie keeps your film alive and eventually it goes on you know on, on demand on television and so people can watch it and they'll pick that movie rather than other movies and they can make some money and make their next film hopefully on the topic of movie going and 
two of your essays, you wrote about a theater called The Majestic in Wisconsin, and you were talking about this pornographic movie in which a, the stewardesses. And a man or a legislator frantically beating his fist against a door that wouldn't open. Yeah, let me, uh, the, the, it's just a funny story. The, uh, one of the things about pornography are all the porno films. Oh, I didn't, we didn't mention that, but that's the when part of the whole VHS video store craze is you could get porno and go home. You didn't have to go out to a theater and chance being seen by by anybody uh, who by anybody who knows you particularly and, and being humiliated that you're there for Deep Throat or Devil and Miss Jones or, what, or whatever. Films that I write about in my cult movie looks behind the, behind the green door uh, with Marilyn Chambers, another big one that I wrote about in one of one of the books. There was a theater and uh, among among students, uh, and the, particularly the left, we were all for freedom of speech, and we wanted more freedom to have se- sexuality in movies. So we were actually promoting what would become, or championing what would become XXX-rated pornography, which we don't really like or see or whatever, but... At the time, we were wanting to get uh, in, more sex into the mainstream. So we were going to see any kind of film that broke sexual barriers we were going to see. And there was one theater in Madison, Wisconsin, up by the, the Circle, uh, up by the Capitol Building, which is where all the legislators are. And it was called the, uh, the Majestic. And they would show quotes around art films. And that would include films with nudity and really low budget and semi porno. They were it was soft porn, and there was a film called The Stewardesses, which was in 3D. So here was a an excuse for us to go see it because we we loved the gimmick 3D at the time. Nobody was making like nowadays 3D movies. That was always reserved for. Uh, Science fiction movies, horror movies, and a couple of westerns in the in the 1950s, and it kind of died out. So all of a sudden, somebody's—I think 68 or 69—somebody made a film, a really bad film with a steward. It's just out of focus and whatever. But it, you know, 3D and nude women. So you can imagine that. A bunch of us went over to the majestic. And I, you know, it wasn't just for this movie. I'm not I'm not alibying for myself at the time, but we were curious about the nudity and whatever. So we went to the Majestic and seeing the stewardesses and, and what would usually happen at, at porno films if, if it's particularly in a situation like that where if the lights went on, people would recognize you maybe because it's a small town. And the legislators there, you know, in their in their uh, time off, they sneak off and they see these porno films or semi-porno. They would usually sneak out before the lights went up at the end of the movie, so nobody would see them, so they missed the credits or the last minute. And I just remember when the stewardess said, uh, even before the end, the lights went up, and all these people in suits, which I so I assume they're legislators, all ran to the door. And I, as you said, there was this one guy just beating on the door, <laughs> back door, trying to get out because he didn't want to be recognized and have have a Pee Wee Herman moment and recognized in a porno theater. And uh, one of my funny memories and 
showing you the hypocrisy of the, the Republican legislators in Madison at the time, who were anti, anti-porn, anti of course. Uh, you also, your review of Ms. 45, you wrote about the audience reaction to that movie. You were on a theater in 42nd Street. Do you have any other memories of a movie that you went to see at a theater that just like the audience reaction to a film or something that you recall? Well, the... The, so people will know Ms. 45 is this mute woman who is made by Abel Ferrar and became a cult movie. And it's an actress, a very, well, I interviewed her, a very interesting, strange woman, uh, magnetic, Zoe Tamerlis, who's also kind of brilliant. And he played a mute character who gets raped twice in the course of a day, I think, and then she goes on a killing spree. And it was, I saw it on 42nd Street, and and the audience, which was all male, and, you know, they were uh, the super macho, and when she was getting raped, there were elements of, you know, there were some people, yeah, give it to her, give it to her, good, you know, that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, she goes on the killing spree and starts shooting men, and it was just like these people sat in their seats whimpering almost. And uh, the, these these macho men, they, that character on the screen actually scared them. Uh, so that was great. The only thing I can remember is uh, the House on a Haunted Hill when I was uh, a kid. That was directed by William Castle, who was really into gimmicks. He would have, for that film, uh, toward the end of the movie, there's a character like falls into a vat and becomes like uh, becomes a skeleton, and the skeleton appears, and it's really scary. Meanwhile, he set up theaters where, from the balcony, there would be a uh, a wire attached, and a skeleton would like come down toward the screen above the audience. You know, supposed to oh my God, there's a skeleton above us, and everybody's supposed to scream. But people, as cult movies, which House of Haunted Hill is, and horror movies, kind of, in those days, we'd go see a movie several times you know we'd be sitting watch it again then watch it again and watch it again and people were ready for the skeleton <laughs> and they would throw tomatoes at it and whatever so that was that was a good memory it was uh, had a different reaction than william castle predicted but uh that was a good one yeah he had another thing called you know the tingler where the audience uh you, at certain moments you feel like you are being electrocuted you know that so when John Waters did the smell-o-vision thing, or the, he was influenced by William Castle. Um, I just want to ask your opinion of a couple of movies, and would you consider them cult movies and why? And the first one is The Big Lebowski. Yeah, yeah, The Big Lebowski is, you know, if I ever write a cult movies for a book, which I, is doubtful, Big Lebowski would be at the top of the list. This is one that's just beloved by people. And when I mentioned before with Casablanca and um, All About Eve, people talking back to the screen with with the dialogue, people just know everything. Every line to Big Lebowski, they talk, and like a rock and horror picture show, of course, they talk every single line. Even even Kristen Bell's character on the TV show Veronica Mars, she was a Big Lebowski fan, and she knew all the dialogue. 
you asked me why that one's a, you know a cult film. I asked, I actually asked Jeff Bridges that. Say why? Why do you think? And he said he can't really figure it out. And I think that my opinion is his character. Basically, I mean, there are a lot of weird characters around John Goodman's character and Steve Buscemi, and the, the, lots of characters. And it's uh, you know the the mystery and it's a throwback to the '40s and a lot a lot of a lot of stuff. A lot of elements going on and a lot of movie references. And people always love movie fans love movie references. My feeling on Jeff Bridges always, and Cutter's Way is a, a cult film I wrote about already um, with Jeff Bridges and John Hurd, um, is the character as loony as uh, as oddball as he is, and uh, you know the way he dresses and the shorts and the man spread with the knees and uh, just his attitude. He has a lot of integrity, and. I think that's just a character you can get behind. Jeff Bridges, when he plays heroes, that's the word that always comes to mind, integrity. And I think that's the appeal. That's why we all love we all love this guy. You know, we could all hang out with him. We could go bowling with him. Um, we could solve a mystery with him. Just hanging out with him, the you know, he's, he has that spacey and a and I'll use a phrase that for another cult movie of of today, Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. There's an element of that to, to him, which makes him a little bit impervious to real fear of being of bodily harm and whatever. It makes him there's a semi immortal quality to him if he you know if they get killed so what and that kind of thing. So. I think that's kind of the appeal to him. A lot of integrity and fun, and he not—he's also a non-judgmental character, and uh, which is a very positive characteristic. The other one I was wanted to ask you about is this movie called *The Room*, written and directed by Tommy Wiseau. Which is, if I were young, that would be a reason for me to go see it. It plays at midnight around the country and it's supposedly you know another one of the worst films ever made kind of films and but it has a following i have not seen it and which i don't mind saying because it's no longer the 1980s and i'm not doing a book if i were doing a couple movies for one of the reasons would be that would give me an excuse to go see the room <laughs> but I, I haven't seen it but it does have a it does have a real following uh, it does it play in Nashville? Yes, it's played several times in Nashville. Mm -hmm. Is it always as a midnight movie, or midnight is it a movie at our local art theater, the Bell Court? Yeah, yeah. it's it's. I, I have not seen where it plays anywhere other than at midnight. I would definitely go see it if uh, you know we have a theater here called in New York City, the IFC Center, which has midnight movies, but also shows. Occasionally, we'll show the older movies or, or, or the other movies during the day, but they've never done it uh, with a room. But, um, well, you know, as I said, everybody should go see it and let me know. <laughs> have you have you seen it? To tell you the truth, honestly, no, I haven't. Well, it's, just, it's probably for the same reason. It's at midnight, right? Yeah, well, no, I go to the midnight movies, and I, mm -hmm. the last time I thought, well, I was going to go to it, and they were having a documentary. I think the filmmaker was there, and it was just, 
I, it was sold out before I could even get a ticket. So that's one of the reasons. But you know, I, well, what, what's its reputation in, in Nashville? Is it it's supposed to be terrible, or or people say it's ter- it's so terrible it's good, or people are missing the point that it's actually it's as many cult films are. It's actually a good film, but people see it only on the surface on the surface that they don't go underneath. Yeah, well, the people who t- tell me to see it, it's like, well, it, go see it at least once. It's going for the experience of going to it. Which is what, you know, most most of the cult movies are. Yeah, I recognize that The Room is really one of the, uh, the movies that uh, define cult movies. It's, 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 it's into the category, and, and uh, as... You know, you have said people tell you to go see it. That's what, that's what partly what makes a lot makes cult movies. It's, there's an there's an enthusiasm. I'm sure people. You know, a lot of people when David Lynch's Eraserhead came out said this is the worst movie ever made, and it's it's become kind of a classic, and it's in a positive way. And people didn't recognize. You know the quality of it. Uh, some did, and some didn't. And a lot of cult movies, as I say, are born in controversy, which there are arguments. This is good. This is awful. And that's what keeps the film alive. That debate, and that curiosity. You know, the Jerry Lewis has this movie of you know comedian Jerry Lewis of uh, the day the clown died. I, I, there's something with a clown in the title. On it. I apologize for not remembering the day the clown cried. The day, yeah, and, and it's never been released, and it has a cult because it's so everybody is so curious about it, and they all have opinions about it, and they all want to see it. And uh, you know, the moment it, I'm sure it'll come out sometime, or at least some, you know, whatever all the footage. And there's talk about it now, um, but that's another one. You know, the people are just curious about it. We haven't seen it, and it exists, and we don't think it will be disappointed. So, but maybe we will. I mean, it's not supposed to be good. That's that's what we've always heard, just like we hear on the room. But you, if you're a movie person, if it finally comes out, you know, you want to see it. I do want to see the room. I'm waiting. I will see it, but I, I haven't. Um, now that I'm in my 60s, I don't really go to midnight movies anymore. All right. And just one final question: Have You seen a movie that you considered to be a cult movie? Like, if you were to do a cult movies book, you would say, "I've got to put that in there." Oh yeah. You know, I even have a, a long list of you know cult movies, which includes The Room. I have over the years had publishers want me to do another book, but they've always wanted me to do it in strange ways, and I've never, I've never done it, or, or just the offer, something wrong with the offer, and I, I've never done it. But because of that, you know, meeting with publishers, I have made up lists, and at the time, I think you know, my Cult Movies Two and Cult Movies Three had 50 films each in them, and so I said, oh, I'll make a list of 50 films, and the list probably has 125 titles on it. I say there's so many, and that says, oh, well, every film's a cult movie. No, every film isn't a cult movie. There are millions of movies that have been made in, in over over time, and, and the, the, the percentage of films that achieve cult status uh, are very few, even if I say there are so many cult movies. There are only, 
you know, maybe a thousand or a hundred. You know, some directors, every movie they make has a, some kind of cult, and I mentioned every horror film and science fiction. So it's almost like, did you, have, did you uh, in Nashville, did you get uh, uh, a film called The Babadook? Yes. That's a film that um, I guess it fits in the horror genre, but it's outside the horror genre. There are many, many different thing, things going on thematically in that movie. It's a really oddball. That's a film that became a even a cult movie before it played, that people were really curious about it. That's a film I kind of would like to write about. You know, you ask, what do you want to write about? The Babadook. It's something I'd like to explore, see it more more times and uh there there's just a lot of, a lot of films you know in horror movies the paranormal activity the first one I, I find really kind of like the most efficient horror movie ever made uh i i was kind of excited by that one you you know even going back i've never i've never written an essay on the third man i would like to include that 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 kind of Movie, um, you know, there, there are a few. There's uh, Jean-Luc Godard's Band of Outsiders, which is being shown around the country. I don't know if it played in Nashville, but I know it's played in Los Angeles and uh, New York. And Anna Karina, the star, was touring with it. And that, that I didn't know they had a cult, but apparently it does. So things like that. There, there's no. I, I want to do an. I'd like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I've never written about that one. Donnie Darko, I'm sure that's played in Nashville. You know, that, that's from that that's a film that had a cult uh, and it maintains a cult, I think. So and 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 foreign films and, you know, the films I don't like that have cults like Moulin Rouge, the second one. I can't stand that movie, but it, I recognize people love it. The uh, Fight Club is like enormous. That's another one of the uh, I, I turned it off the first time I saw it, so I have to. I would revisit that one. So there, there's no, there. There are lots and lots of films. Um, you know, I I actually one of the things I think it's. I guess I don't. It's, I don't know if it makes me interesting, but an interesting thing about me is when I go to a movie, I, I'm just like anybody else. I have exactly the same opinion as anybody else. But when I know I'm going to write about it, and I I get into a different gear. So I I watch films differently, but I it's nice that I can just you know watch a film and uh, without without thinking that way, without thinking I have to interview somebody about it or or, or write a long essay or whatever. You know, I can just I'm I'm no more I'm not smarter than anybody else under the normal circumstances. So until I start digging into it. To, because I know I have to write about it. So when I say there's these these films on this list, even, even uh, Dirty Dancing, for instance, which has a real cult, I, I, I would be curious what I'd write about it when I actually examine it. So that's 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 kind of how you know makes me. People don't know. I, I I became a sports writer. That's why I'm not really involved in movies anymore. So what what would I write about all these? How would I get back into writing about movies? And sometimes I get enthusiastic, and sometimes I think it's uh, I can't imagine writing these books again, the cult movie books again. It, 
I was a different person then and different. Uh, I, I actually said, did I write that? That was, that was pretty good. <laughs> so it's, uh, I'm glad, you know, thank you, William, for, you know, contacting me and calling me because it, it makes me feel very proud that people remember me and I'm always happy when people know my books uh, because that's from many decades ago. So it's, it's it's great to know that I made an impression on you and um, filmmakers and whatever. It's it's really a nice feeling. Well, I just wanted to say thank you um, for doing this interview. This has been a thrill because I love your cult movie books and the alternate Oscars. And we had a film critic here. He sadly passed away. His name is Jim Ridley. And he once <laughs> said we were having dinner. He said, we got off on your books, cult movies. And he said, you know, we should just th find a way to write him and thank him for recommending all these obscure, offbeat movies that we would have mm -hmm. never thought of. So I'm just saying thank you for Jim and myself for doing that for you. Uh, thank you. You're more than welcome. And, you know, as I said, we're all movie fans. So I, I'm, it, it's just great when I... It recommends something, tell people to see something, and then they thank you. <laughs> you know, that was, I went to see that otherwise, and that makes me feel great. And as I said, thank, thank you for, um, for, for doing this. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I'm glad Night of the Demon, uh, I hope people go see this. You know, it is a little low budget, and you'll see little flaws in it, but, uh, say why I, I'm sure when people leave they say why don't more people know about that that was really a scary movie that was a really well made well written really well directed and pretty well acted movie and uh, which once you see it you don't forget it so uh, I hope uh, I hope uh, again I can get people to go go see a, a movie that I really like myself I would like to thank Danny Perry for granting us the interview. Remember, come to the Nashville Public Library Saturday, October 22, 2016 on 615 Church Street at 2 p.m. to see Night of the Demon. Remember, it's free. Today's music is If You Want to Sing Out by Cat Stevens from the movie Harold and Maude, as requested. Well, if you want to sing out, sing out And if you want to be free, be free Cause there's a million things to be You know that there are And if you want to live high, live high And if you want to live low, live low